Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. It's time for Lombardi Memory, a show that takes you back in time, into January or February, to the greatest one-day spectacle in all of sports. This is the Every Other Tuesday podcast that looks back at each and every one of the 50-plus Super Bowls and tells the story of who won and why. For the fan who needs more than just a box score, this podcast goes drive-by-drive, play-by-play through the most dramatic games in history. I'm your host, Tommy A. Phillips, and you can visit my website at TommyAPhillips.com, where you can find all of my books. Those include Great 80s, a book that covers this Super Bowl and the next four of them as well. Today we have Super Bowl Twenty, which was held on January 26, 1986 between the first-time AFC champion New England Patriots and the first-time NFC champion Chicago Bears, with a never-ending controversy about why Walter Payton didn't score a touchdown. If you're looking for the full story of this 1985 season, pick up my Great 80s book, and you'll learn more than you ever wanted to know about that year and the rest of the 80s. As always, we have a pop quiz, and then homework at the end of the episode. The pop quiz question for today is, how many of the top five career wrestling leaders in NFL history have scored a touchdown in the Super Bowl? The answer will come at the end of the podcast. The 1985 New England Patriots were a unique team in NFL history. After starting off the season 2-3, and three, the Patriots won each of their next six games and eight out of nine. They won their final game over Cincinnati 34-23 to clinch the second wildcard spot in the AFC. Remember, there were only two wildcards at the time. The 11-5 Denver Broncos thus became the first 11-win team to miss the playoffs since the Baltimore Colts in 1967. The Patriots had the unenviable task of having to win three straight road games to reach the Super Bowl. They did just that, beating fellow wildcard New York 28-14, then number one seed Los Angeles 27-20. Finally, they went on the road to beat Miami 31-14 at the Orange Bowl, where they had not won since 1969. New England thus became the first Super Bowl team to win 
three road playoff games to get there. This feat would not be seen again until 2005. Running back Craig James rushed for 1,227 yards, and receiver Stanley Morgan racked up 760 receiving yards. Quarterback Tony Eason took the job from Steve Grogan during the regular season, and he threw for 2,156 yards and 11 touchdowns. He also threw for 17 interceptions, though, making his passer rating a paltry 67.5. If there was any star of the team, it might have been running back Tony Collins, who rushed for 657 yards and led the team with 52 catches, going for 549 yards and scoring five total touchdowns. Former number one overall pick Irving Fryer caught 39 passes for 670 yards and a team-leading seven scores. But overall, the New England Patriots were the ultimate underdog. No one had ever gone their route to making the Super Bowl as a third-place team in the AFC East who somehow got right at the right, hot at the right time. Their opponent, though, wasn't of the same ilk. No, the Chicago Bears were the mightiest, proudest, most ferocious team in NFL history. Chicago won its first 12 games in a row, and most of them by convincing margins. 45-10 over the Redskins, 26-10 over the 49ers, 44-0 over the Cowboys, even 20-7 over the Patriots earlier in this season. They lost one game in 1985. That one loss came to the Dolphins 38-24 on a Monday night when Miami got all the bounces. But the Bears shut out both opponents in the NFC playoffs. They beat the Giants 21-0 and the Rams 24-0. NFL fans really missed out on a great matchup when Miami lost the AFC Championship game to New England. A Dolphins-Bears rematch would have been must-watch TV. Along the way, humongous defensive tackle William Perry became a folk hero for all his touchdown runs. As he take handoffs in short yardage situations at the goal line and just pound his way into the end zone. The Bears were full of brass personalities like quarterback Jim McMahon, who broke NFL rules by wearing headbands with the name Adidas on them. He wasn't allowed to uh, show his sponsorship, so they fined him. But the Bears recorded a music video called the Super Bowl Supple, which swept the nation. The Bears' 46th defense was one of the greatest in the history of the league, with defensive end Richard Dent picking up 17 sacks and linebacker Otis Wilson, another ten and a half. There was no team as memorable as this team in the history of the NFL. Plus, there was running back Walter Payton anchoring the offense. The all-time legend rushed for 1,551 yards and 9 touchdowns while leading the team with 49 receptions. Receiver Willie Galt had the most yards through the air with 704, while receiver Dennis McKinnon led the team with seven touchdown catches. 
McMahon threw for just shy of 2,400 yards and 15 touchdowns. And the Bears had a very accurate kicker in Kevin Butler, who made all 51 extra points and 31 of 37 field goals. There wasn't a single weak spot on the roster. That set up this Super Bowl as the ultimate David versus Goliath matchup. The only difference was David didn't have any stones to fire with. The Patriots had no way of matching up against Chicago. Their only hope was to force turnovers. Head coach Raymond Berry decided to make his team completely key on Peyton. Bears head coach Mike Dicka likewise chose to take advantage of the Pats' obsession with Peyton. The Bears could beat you so many ways, and that's what they proved in this game. There was confusion about the coin toss. Referee Red Cassian had perhaps the worst game of his career on the biggest stage. He couldn't figure out whether Walter Payton had called heads or tails on the toss. Eventually, he believed a protesting Payton that he had called heads, and the Bears won the toss. It was a bizarre situation because the way the coin toss worked, rules worked, the Bears wanted to lose the toss. You couldn't defer to the second half in those days. So it was either take the ball first or let the opponent receive to start both halves. So Chicago had no choice. They took the ball to start the game. Payton started out rushing for a seven-yard game. On his second carry, though, he got hit by defensive end Julian Julius Adams, and he fumbled. Linebacker Larry McGrew recovered for the Patriots. The Pats took over near the 19-yard line of Chicago. Eason threw his first pass for tight end Lynn Dawson, but fell incomplete, and Dawson was hurt on the play. On Eason's next pass, he had uh, Stanley Morgan breaking wide open, but Morgan just dropped the ball incomplete. His third pass is incomplete as well, so kicker Tony Franklin came on and made a 36-yard field goal for the first points scored against Chicago all postseason. Galt returned the ensuing kickoff 19 yards to the 30. Two plays into the drive, McMahon went deep for Galt, and he hit him for a 33-yard, 43-yard gain down to the New England 26. Fullback Matt Suey ran it twice, getting a first down inside the 15. Facing third down a few plays later, McMahon tried to run for it, but he got flipped over by defensive back Ronnie Lippett. He was okay, but the Bears had to settle for a 28-yard Butler field goal to tie it at three. The Patriots continued with their pass-first approach, with Eason throwing two passes on the next possession, both of which fell incomplete. He then was sacked by Dent and linebacker Wilbur Marshall. Chicago got the ball back after a punt to the 29. McMahon went play action the golf for 18 yards, but the Bears had the punt as well. Punter Murray Buford's kick went for a touchback. 
James ran the ball for New England's first run of the game, and he went nowhere, tackled by linebacker Mike Singletary. Then defensive tackle Steve McMichael sacked Eason, who fumbled. Defensive tackle Dan Hampton recovered for the Bears. McMahon started out the new drive by throwing across the field to tight end Embry Moorhead. He went eight yards down to the five-yard line, but the Fizzles missed a blatant clipping foul that sprung Moorhead for the game. McMahon snuck for a first down on a third down carry, and then Dicka decided to try a trick play. On second down, he had Perry take the handoff and go back to pass. So it was big William Perry to refrigerator trying to pass, but he couldn't find anyone open. So he wisely went down for a minimal loss, technically a sack. The Bears settled for a 24-yard Butler field goal, but they now had a 6-3 lead, and they never surrendered it. James fumbled on the first play of New England's next possession. Dent forced the fumble, and defensive back Gary Fensick recovered it. It took just two plays for Chicago to score. Suey ran for two yards, then he took a pitch and went for an 11-yard touchdown. The Bears led 13-3 after one quarter. The Patriots went nowhere on their next possession, and the Bears got it back at their own 11. Running back Calvin Thomas ran for five yards and two carries. Then receiver Dennis Gentry took a handoff and got a first down at the New England 46. McMahon threw the goal for seven yards. Then he hit Suey on a long pass down to the 15. Suey carried it on each of the next three plays, getting a first down at the five. Two plays later, Perry came into the game, but he was just a decoy. He blocked the way for McMahon to run it in on the option. If McMahon would have pitched the ball to Peyton on the option, we wouldn't still be hang-ringing over this Super Bowl. McMahon and not Peyton scored the touchdown, and the Bears led 20-3. New England went three and out once again. Peyton ran for five yards, but then Suey ended up fumbling. Linebacker Steve Nelson of the Patriots forced the fumble, and defensive back Raymond Claiborne recovered it. At this point, Barry pulled Eason from the game and inserted Grogan. Eason did not complete a pass before leaving the game, making him the only starting quarterback in Super Bowl history to not complete a single pass. Grogan fired to Collins to get into Bears territory. He then found James on third down, which got New England its first first down of the game. The pass ended up punting anyway, though. Starting at the 20, the Bears put together a good drive. Peyton ran for a first down at the 32, right before the two-minute warning. The Pats got called for an illegal hands penalty to give Chicago another first down. On the next third down, McMahon found Gentry for 11 yards and a first down at the New England 46. Gentry ran for five more. Then McMahon fired to receiver Ken Marjoram for a 30-yard gain. Two plays later, with no timeouts left, McMahon scrambled for a first down at the two. 
and the clock began to run down. As McMahon got up, he got into a subbing match with New England Patriots who were trying to keep him from getting up. Some Bears got into the subbing as well, and the officials lost complete control of the game. The Bears then just hurried up. They snapped the ball to McMahon, who threw it away, even though no one was set. And Cassian called a five-yard penalty on the Bears, but he forgot there was a 10-second runoff. So there was less than 10 seconds. The half should have been over, but instead the Bears got to try the field goal. Moreover, Cassian forgot the mark off the five-yard penalty at first, only doing so at the request of the New England players. Eventually, Butler made a 24-yard kick, and the Bears took a 23-3 lead into halftime. Now, the Patriots had minus 19 yards of offense in the first half. They tried to make up for that on the first drive of the second half, with Grogan throwing to Morgan for 8 yards. Collins plowed up the middle for only the second first down of the game for New England. But then the levees broke, and the Pats couldn't hold back the Bears' defense anymore. First, McMichael and Dent combined for a sack. Then the Pats got called for a false start. Then it was Wilson and Hampton combining for another sack. If it were a fight, they'd have to stop it, NBC announcer Dick Enberg said. How true. The only solace for New England was that punter Ritz Camarillo got away a Super Bowl record 62-yard punt, one that was actually not even kicked all that well, but not picked up by a bear, and it bounced all the way down to the four. But the Bears took little time in advancing back downfield because McMahon started the next drive throwing a 60-yard bomb to goal. He then hit Moorhead for another first down at the 22. Peyton ran for seven yards in two plays, and Suey got a first down at the 11. McMahon then found a wide-open marjoram for a first down at the 1. McMahon took it in himself for a touchdown instead of handing off the Peyton. And, again, if he had handed off the Peyton there, that would have silenced the critics. But McMahon scored, and Chicago led 30-3. When it rains, it pours, and New England was suffering through a torrential downpour. Rogan threw an interception to defensive back Reggie Phillips, and he returned it for a touchdown, 37-3. Then receiver Cedric Jones got hit by Fensick, and he fumbled. Marshall recovered. He lateraled it to Wilson for a return to the 38. Peyton carried it twice to get a first down to start the new Chicago drive. Then... McMahon found Gentry wide open streaking across the field. Gentry went out of bounds at the one. First and goal, right? Well, that's what they ruled. But there was one problem. Gentry didn't just knock it one, uh, both feet in. He didn't even get one foot in. In college football, it would have been an incomplete pass, let alone the NFL. But Cassian continued having a bad day and he ruled it a catch. Then came the most controversial play of the game. 
instead of letting Peyton get his touchdown and shutting up tens of thousands of fans forever, Ditka decided to let Perry score from the one. He bowled over the Patriots and spiked the ball emphatically after scoring. It was now 44-3, but Peyton was still without a touchdown. The Patriots did go on a long drive from there to score a touchdown, but it would be a waste of time for me to break it down to you. What does a fourth-quarter touchdown in a 44-3 game really mean anyway? Grogan threw a fourth-down touchdown pass to Fryer from eight yards out. That made it 44-10. The rest of the game was just exhibition time. Steve Fuller entered at quarterback for Chicago, and like Eason, he didn't complete a pass. Of course, he was nursing a 34-point lead, so he really didn't need to connect. The Bears got down to the New England 5 anyway, where linebacker Jim Morrissey intercepted... Uh, well, they got to the New England 5, not on the drive, but whenever... Linebacker Jim Morrissey intercepted a pass and returned it 48 yards. If not for Collins making a tackle on that play, the Bears would have been the first Super Bowl, first team in Super Bowl history to score 50 points. What did it matter though? They were already the first team to score over 40. Dicka gave Peyton ample opportunities to score a touchdown, but the Patriots did everything in their power to stop him. He couldn't get in. Dicka deserves no blame for Payton not scoring this game because Payton had a couple tries on this drive and he just could not punch it in, not even on fourth down. But the resulting field position caused Grogan to get sacked by defensive end Henry Waxter for a safety. The final score was Chicago 46, New England 10. It was fitting. The 46th defense led the Bears to a 46-point performance. The MVP of Super Bowl XX was Richard Dent. He made a significant impact early in the game, getting one and a half sacks. I have no problem with that pick. After all, it's, it should have been someone on defense. But if I were to give it to an offensive player, I'd have to pick McMahon. He threw for 256 yards, including some long bombs. He rushed for two touchdowns as well. McMahon was the difference between Chicago being a good team and a great one. Early in the season, when he was hurt, Chicago didn't look all that great. Once he took over, the Bears rolled. McMahon deserves so much more credit than he gets. The best player in the losing team? There were not. <laughs> so I'll just give it to the punter, Camarillo. For his 43.8 yard average on six punts, including the Super Bowl record punt of 62 yards. New England stunk it up so badly that no one deserves any credit on the roster. Who is the LVP? Tony Eason is too easy a choice as least, least valuable player. And Craig James deserved it a lot as well. But that's not where I'm going with this. I'm going to give this one to Red Cassian, the famous referee who always loved the yell, first down, had the worst game of his career.
He admitted as much, refusing to go to a party after the game. He knew he had messed up. The officiating was so horrendous, but no one noticed thanks to Chicago's dominance. If this had been a closer game, this game would have gone down like Super Bowl 40 as one of the most controversial Super Bowls of all time. Who was the best player that no one remembers? That had to be Reggie Phillips, who scored on the pick six. Of all the Bears defensive players, you remember most of them, but you don't remember him. His pick helped sold away, but it was an easy victory. The biggest play of this game was McMahon's early 43-yard bomb, the goal. That got the Bears' offense going, and although they only scored two field goals on the first two possessions, they were on their way. As for the biggest play that no one remembers, I'd go with Peyton's fourth down run in the fourth quarter that ended up well side of the goal line. Well, no one remembers it because they were already up 44-10. to 10. But why that play? Because right then and there, Dicka gave Peyton the chance to score a touchdown. And he did it. If he had scored, then we wouldn't have had to hear that Dicka made the wrong choice by letting other guys score touchdowns while Peyton didn't get one. But Dicka did give him that opportunity, and the Pats defense just stopped him. Dicka needs to be let off the hook on this one. Peyton had his shot, he just couldn't score. And that leads us to our pop quiz question of the day. How many of the top five players in career rushing yards have scored a Super Bowl? The answer is two. Emmett Smith, of course, scored multiple times. But second place, Peyton did not. Third place is now Frank Gore, and he did indeed score a touchdown in Super Bowl 47. Fourth place, Barry Sanders never reached the Super Bowl, as was also the case for fifth place, Adrian Peterson. Only Smith and Peyton have Super Bowl ring. As for homework, here are two books for starters. Keep in mind that there are a bunch of books on these bears. I can't list all of them here. So I'm just going to go with these two. Uh, you got The Bears, How the 1985 Monsters of the Midway Became the Greatest Team in NFL History by Steve Delson. And Monsters, The 1985 Chicago Bears and the Wild Heart of Football by Rich Cohen. Again, there are others as well, and I don't mean any slight to, to them, um, but you any, there's lots of books on this Bears team, so check them out, and those are the top two I'm thinking of at the moment, but I know there are others. So the Bears, they finished 18-1, and won, won the Super Bowl while allowing just 10 points all postseason long. They won the Super Bowl by the largest margin in history at the time, 36 points, and could have won by even more. 51 to 10 was very possible had Peyton scored. It's time to let Dicko off the hook because careful watching of this Super Bowl shows that Peyton did have his chance to score. He just couldn't punch it in. Next time, 
we'll have John Elway and Phil Sims going at it in a crazy Super Bowl. That was a classic through two quarters. By the fourth quarter, though, the only drama left was the first ever Super Bowl Gatorade bath and the first player to say they were going to Disney World after the game. All those stories will be told on the next podcast. You can also read them in my book, Great 80s, a journey through another amazing decade in pro football history, and you can find that at TommyAPhillips.com. Until next time, so long. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians. You'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.